Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name is Sam Bruce. I'm the Associate Editor of ESPN.com.au and it's a pleasure to welcome back for the second time this year former Brumbies stall in the back row, Lockie McCaffrey. Uh, mate, we know you're doing it a little bit tough over there in Japan, but uh, how are things? Yeah, mate, no, I'm okay. I was supposed to um, get to Austin, Texas to play in the MLR start of April. Um, and I'm still stuck here down in Fukuoka, mate. So if you know anyone in the US embassies or the consulates, mate, um, get them to give me a buzz and give me some help. My uh, my connections are a little bit short uh, in that department, but maybe Christy Doran, who's back with us again, has got a contact that he can uh, get that paperwork uh, up the chain a little bit for you. We'll talk about that later, Lockie. But uh, are you um, are you still in a little bit of a lockdown, or can you roam around freely at this point? No, mate. The Japanese lockdown is very different to an Australian lockdown. Um, so Japanese lockdown means then they, you know, you're always wearing a mask over here outdoors. Um, but then pretty much things just close. Instead of closing at 10 p.m., they close at 8 p.m. So that's the one rule over here. So, um, yeah, a little bit different to, to over there. It could explain some of the, the high numbers, but I, I don't want to, <laughs> we, we won't talk too too badly about uh, what's happening there because I've still got to get in the country for the Olympics. So, yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah. So Hopefully everything goes well. Ongoing narrative there around the Olympics and hopefully, Christy, you will get over there and the Olympics go off uh, without a hitch. But um, anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, boys, um, let's get into it. Uh, of course, uh, a big weekend for Australian rugby at long last. Uh, the duck was broken. After 13 games, the joke going around that no one beats Australian teams 14 times in a row uh, was uh, right across social media. Of course, the Reds getting the job done up there in Townsville, which was great to see a game go up there, um, I thought, for the first time in about um, 15 years, I think. So the new stadium up there looked really good and the, the Reds certainly looked very good. Christy, in that first half, um, obviously had the assistance of a couple of cards, a yellow card, first of all, to Tia Tia and then the red card to, to Damian McKenzie. Um, let's start with the Reds' performance. Um, I hate to use a cliche, but it was certainly uh, very much a, performance of two halves the Chiefs roared back into it in the second half but um, great news for the Reds to get Australian rugby off the mark if Brad Thorne's face at full time kind of told the story of what he probably thought in the washer yeah the the reality is that they should be celebrating I know that there's always disappointment we should have got the bonus point we should have finished off the match no they won and you know good teams do find ways of winning um the first half, it's been very seldom of Australian rugby fans been able to go, wow, we, we really made the, the use of the numerical advantage. Like how often is against the Wallabies, against the All Blacks, has, you know, there might have been a yellow card, but Australian rugby's haven't been able to punish the opposition. We saw the Reds do that, um, score a couple of tries in quick succession. I thought the lines that the inside backs were running, I thought Isaac Henry on, de- on debut, I think he was, was outstanding um, running against the grain back. We, we hadn't been able to see that from Hamish Stewart. That's not really his go. Um, he's more of that, that link player. Um, so I thought he, he brought a lot at, at 12. Um, <clears throat> Suli Bunavalu, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, he's shown a couple of great touches. He's certainly not the, the full package um, at the, at the moment. And I would be reluctant to give him a wall of his Jersey just yet, but, 
he's obviously potent in the air and he's an attacking threat. And, and you know, dare I say, that there's the bit of, with him and, and Geordie Bataille, um, guys that are able to leap in the air, it gives you that belief that, once again, there's, there's someone like a Falau who's capable of, of winning the aerial dominant battle, which is so important these days. Lockie, um, up front, I thought probably Lucan Selakai Loto's best game for a long while. Uh, really physical approach, which is something probably the Aussie teams have been caught out in these first few weeks of, of Trans-Tasman. Just that step up to physicality, um, that real collision at the breakdown. I thought that was his best game, really led from the front alongside Skipper Liam right there back in the seven jersey. Uh, how did you see the contest up front? And certainly that was um, a very strong Reds performance for the first 40 anyway. Yeah, mate, I thought there were heaps of positives. Um, you know, as Christy mentioned, it would have been nice to get a bonus point, but um, Chiefs are a quality team and they came back with some good footy in that last 20 minutes. Um, and the Reds bench probably didn't have as much of an impact as as Thorny wanted. But, um, yeah, I thought I would have given man of the match to Luke Khan. I thought it was his best game probably this season, um, especially against a good Chiefs forward pack. Good to see Wright slowly getting back to his best. Um, you know, coming back from that injury always takes a few games to settle back in. Um, so, yeah, that mate, there were heaps of positives. I also thought it was, um, you know, the 9 and 10. McDermott and O'Connor's probably best game. I thought they really influenced that first 50, 60 minutes. Um, would have been nice to control, play a little bit more in the last 20. But there were heaps of positives. Um, I thought, as Christy mentioned again, Isaac Henry on debut was outstanding. Um, you know, and you've still got Patea and a few guys to bring back to that team. So the Reds have always been able to score lots of points, which they showed. Um, you know, I think they'll be a little bit frustrated with their lack of defence. But, you know, all teams do it when you're up by that many points um, and you think you've won the game. You know, even the best teams sometimes, um, you know, take their foot off the pedal. Yeah, it just shows you what can be done with uh, with front football. Of course, the Crusaders had it the week before and, and built about a 28-7 halftime lead there in Brizzy and uh, in Townsville. The Reds got it. And as you say, uh, Tate McDermott and James O'Connor, their best game for the year. McDermott going to the line to, to put that beautiful ball for Henry to go through and score uh, his first of two tries in his first run on start. So, yeah, just uh, amazing what they can do when they, they get that go forward up front. Um Lockie, do you think that they can now kick on and potentially win these last two games, um, which really are defining games from a New Zealand perspective when you look at the, the competition set up? They've got the Blues at home on Friday night, followed by the Hurricanes away. Um, surely the confidence they should take out of that win last week should really roll into this Blues game, who, you know, they've won three from three, they've got the bonus points, um, but there's still just a hint of that Blues team of old that they've... They can just lose the plot a little bit. Um, Akira Yuani for mine has been very fortunate not to find himself on the sidelines, at least for a 10-minute spell the last couple of weeks. Um, do you think they can get the chocolates this Friday at least and then maybe upset the Hurricanes away in the final round? Yeah, then you'd be disappointed if they don't back it up this Friday night versus Blues. Um, they love playing at Suncorp, um, so they'll be stoked to play there. There'll be a big, big Queensland crowd out to watch. Um, and, yeah, you know, like this is where you win one game against the Kiwis, but you've really, after winning the Super Rugby AU, you've, you've got to back it up. Um, you've got to win your home games. You know, obviously we'll talk later about winning on the road in New Zealand's a lot tougher us. But when you when you have a home game versus the Kiwi side, you've really, you've really got to get that W no matter how it takes. So 
Um, I'd be disappointed if they um, don't back it up this Friday night and get another another win. And then, and then the last game against the Hurricanes in in Wellington, they've been a bit hot and cold all year, but they're actually playing some really good footy versus the Aussie side. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully finish off well. But I think it's a must win this this Friday night versus Auckland. Christy, uh, looking at from a more holistic point of view, uh, an article of yours today in News Corp uh, papers and, and online, um, something we've spoken about beforehand, and, and it's pretty much the ongoing narrative of, of Australian rugby right now is, is what is the best course of action or what is the best competition structure for 2022 and beyond? Um, it's kind of chopped and changed a little bit. RA were, were super keen on going fully united from a trans-Tasman perspective from next year, albeit with some... Uh, hesitations around the two new teams. Um, they then ran such a successful Super Rugby A year, which culminated in, in you know a peak audience of 465,000 viewers on nine, which is just you know unheard of numbers in Australian rugby in terms of uh, television ratings for a long while. An Australian winner every week, um, and that certainly gave at the end of that competition Andy Marinos uh, something to ponder. Um, Surely they've had a little bit more to ponder over the last three weeks, albeit with the Reds finally breaking the duck on the weekend, as we mentioned. Just where do you think the thinking is there in terms of next year moving forward and, and what kind of competition RA um, will throw out or what competitions will they agree to? Yeah, it's really fascinating because it's, it's a bit of a... Oh, until private equity arrives, and we don't know when that point is going to uh, kick in, we don't know how much money will be given to the top end, um, but we, we've heard that the grassroots is going to be prioritised. So you're not going to reap the benefits of that for, for some time, um, you know, five, five years, you'd say, at the very least, because that's when you, you're starting to sew up some of your young teenage talent. But in terms of, of, of the direction going forward, from what I've heard, you know, there has been a change of narrative over the last few weeks. They were very much, at, even at the end of Super Rugby AU, when we knew that there was going to be 40,000 people that were going to be there in the days after the after the, the final, the thinking was still very much trans-Tasman is, is the way forward. That, that changed a little bit, perhaps with a bit of media scrutiny around it, perhaps just with word of mouth. You know, you go to barbecues or whatever and you hear people talking up the game. We haven't had that for a long, long time. And then it's definitely been, the oxygen has been sapped out of the air um, recently. Uh, and I think that's certainly tipped the scales from, from what I'm hearing. Um, but it, but it, there has to be a trans-Tasman element to it. And I think it actually becomes quite exciting. Whether or not, you know, the, the, the questions that they're now debating are, do you do five weeks as a, as a Super Rugby AU comp um, with, with a, a standalone final? Do you do 10 to 12 weeks um, and then and, and then five weeks like what we're seeing now with a bit of a sprint trans-Tasman competition? <clears throat> Is there going to be definitely Pacifica involvement next year? We think that's going to be the case. But also, where does Japan fit into this, this circle of life, this pie that we've got at the moment? And um, it seems like definitely the Pacifica side is going to be involved. So can you evenly split them to have six on six? Do the two Pacific teams want to, you know, they were invited. It was New Zealand that was doing the heavy lifting. Do they want to join the five-team New Zealand comp to make it seven? Or would it, it certainly make sense from a, a structural point of view to be able to divide it by six and six. But 
you know, will one of the Pacific Islands sides benefit from playing more in New Zealand as opposed to Australia? You, you know, there's, there's lots of different um, permutations here. Um, but I, I think that from Rugby Australia would prefer at the moment six and six, then go into a trans-Tasman competition um, and potentially with Pacific, uh, sorry, with, with Japanese involvement at the end, you know, the top two sides, potentially the top four. We know that the top four teams, and Lockie will be able to speak to this, are, are pretty decent oppositions. Uh, they've, they've got good t players. And it also actually adds to, from a, a Wallabies high performance perspective, if you've got the likes of Samu Karevi and Sean McMahon playing up in Suntory, well, it's much easier for, as Dave Rennie has said in the past, to compare apples with apples and then potentially be able to pick them for Wallaby's duty. So it, they have to essentially have this decision wrapped up by the end of June. Um, so it's, it's a big month. These next couple of weeks might give you a little bit more of an idea around what the standard of Australian rugby is at the moment. But, you know, even tracing it back to the opening week, the force should have probably won the game in the end with a misconversion. The Brumbies had a draw. It could have been a different picture. And as much as we like to go, you know, they didn't win for 13 games and they won and 14 losses, it probably, you know, the, the points differential probably sums up the, the golf in the class in terms of the overall depth of, of the two nations. But there are still a couple of good teams in there and plenty of good players right throughout the five franchises in Australia. Lockie, you're probably, you know, as well placed as, as anyone to, to comment on this, given you've had skin in the game here in, in Australia. Now you're up in Japan. Um, you've played against New Zealand teams. You know the level that they go up to or, or Aussie teams have to go up to to compete with them. Mate, how do you see it, I guess, uh, moving forward? And, and what do you think is in the absolute best interest? If you're at RA and you're looking for what are we going to get out of this competition, both commercially and um, from a player development perspective and number one, what's going to end up with us getting the absolute best, uh, highest quality Wallabies to confront the All Blacks in the Bledisloe Cup and, and the tests later in the year? What is that competition structure that's going to enable us to, to, I guess, tick all those boxes as best they can be ticked? Yeah, mate, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think the most important thing RA need is a balance. So a balance between high quality competition throughout the year to make sure your, your players are challenging himself and putting together a really good wallaby side but you've also got to remember there's a balance you've got to have guys coming to the stadium to watch footy and guys turning on the tv to turn to watch the rugby every friday saturday night um and that's that's where the competition structure is so important mate like as a player you love touring you want to play the kiwi sides you want to play the pacifica sides the japanese teams more the better um but as a spectator um and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to any of the teams, but in the Super Rugby AU, I used to, you know, be in front of the TV 10 minutes before kickoff, I'd be ready because every game was a, it was a real contest. I think no matter how diehard a spectator you are or a fan, there's some games at the moment that you can genuinely know is not going to be a contest in the last 10, 20 minutes. And, and that's just being realist about it. Um, and as a spectator, you don't want to watch 80 minutes every week when your team isn't winning. And, you know, I think the Brumbies and the Reds, um, you know, are challenging the Kiwi teams at the moment. But as you've got five Australian teams and five Kiwi teams, I don't think we're going to challenge week in, week out. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of the New Zealand rugby players and coaches come out to say, you know, we need trans-Tasman um, and put the importance of that on. And, 
you know, I, I understand where they're coming from and we do need a trans-Tasman comp of some sort, but they've got to realise it's very different in the Australian market. Um, you know, it's, it's great for Kiwis to come over here and win. They get a holiday to a better country every weekend and they, and they come home with, a, with another W. So it's very different for them. Um, in New Zealand, you get to the weekend and you can either turn the TV on and watch the Warriors get beaten by 30 points um, or you watch one of these super rugby teams probably get a win you know in Australia we've got super rugby we've got 18 AFL teams and 15 NRL teams to to compete with so if I'm at RA that's just as important um, as you know playing some really good footy versus Kiwis and Pacifica teams so that's the that's the balance I've got to get mate Um, you know talking to some of the boys there was really positive feedback around the super rugby AU comp Um, you know just a lot of good vibes, good crowds. As, as Christy mentioned, an Aussie team was winning every game, obviously. Um, but they enjoyed it a lot more this year um, than last year. It was a proper competition. It felt genuine. Um, and there was a lot of positivity from, from players and spectators alike. So, you know, I would like to start the year with the Super Rugby AU. I don't think you need to verse everyone twice. Um, you verse everyone once and then... Just have a two versus one grand final at the at seed one home stadium. Um, and then you go into a trans Tasman comp. But I would I would structure it instead of versing every team once, um, as we're seeing at the moment, which which isn't working, I would I would have two pools um, and go off the seeds off the super rugby AU and super rugby um, NZ comp. So you can structure it a little bit more where you can see a clear pathway where Aussie teams will make the finals and Kiwi teams will make the finals, obviously, too. Um, so, yeah, I think the Kiwis have to realise that we want to play New Zealand teams week in, week out, too, but it's a very different market in Australia um, and they've got to come to the table there, too, in terms of, you know, creating a competition where Australian fans will rock up to the stadium and turn the TVs on every weekend. I think Sorry. before jumping, I think a couple of things that we need to point out as well is the guys like who is who are playing well in, in Trans Tasman were also playing very well in AU. So Robbie Valentini, you know, for instance, stepped up his game um, exponentially this year. This has been a, an absolute breakout season for him. And he's played test rugby before, but to be fair, he probably hasn't like deserved it necessarily because he hasn't dominated super rugby. Uh, and he's dominated Super Rugby AU and he's taken that same form into Trans-Tasman. So I don't think you can have the argument that the players necessarily need to be playing New Zealand players to, to, to lift their, um, elevate their games because we're seeing that already in AU. The, the top players are playing to that standard, I think. Um, but, but in addition to that, we've had, you know, uh, I know I, I heart back on Rod Kafer from time to time because he makes some valid points. But the Wallabies haven't won a play load since 2002. So what? why is that? There's been plenty of good players come through the system. Why haven't they won since 2002? And is it because we're just playing New Zealand rugby all the time and there are things like mental scarring that take place? Um, I think it has to be – I don't think you can brush it away because we know that England – they nearly pushed the All Blacks. They pushed them right into the death in 2018 and probably should have won the game. And then they beat them a year later in 2019 and they hardly played them for four or five years. So we love to compare New Zealand because they're right next to us and they play a great brand of rugby. But are they always necessarily 
what Australian rugby needs. And I know that we're talking about it now, but it has to be thought of. I think this idea that high performance means you have to play the All Blacks or New Zealand. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. We're obviously still seeing the pandemic affect things, guys, as well. Obviously, last week, um, the Highlanders-Rebels game was moved from from Queenstown to, to Leichhardt Oval in Sydney over the weekend at pretty short notice. Um, the Chiefs are in a little bit of limbo at the moment. They're hanging around in in northern Queensland, I think, until Wednesday, um, just in case, you know, as it looks, this lockdown could be extended and um, that bubble clearance for the Rebels won't actually open up for them to get across to, to New Zealand. That game could also be moved to Sydney. Um, who's to say we might not be in a similar situation again next year? So for all intents and purposes, is running what we had this year um, the right course of action considering that as well? And you, I think your confidence point there, Chrissy, was a good one around Valentini. Izzy Parisi is another one for mine. You, you give these guys another opportunity to build that confidence again next year. And, and we really try and focus on, from a high performance perspective, around the Rebels and the Force. We know the Force are already making off-season moves, but how do we bolster these this Rebel squad probably in particular. We know the Waratahs, there's just a few little green shoots starting to come through. Uh, Angus Bell is another one who's just really playing the house down yeah. and getting great support up front from, from Harry Johnson Holmes. Now, had they been playing in, in Trans-Tasman this entire time this year, do we think they would have come on as much as they had? And while they're still losing now, Lockie, um, they're still starting to play some, some very good rugby in patches from an individual perspective. Yeah, mate, I think, you know, no one knows with COVID, but you plan for the best in terms of uh, schedules and, and comp structures, and then you just um, you change and adapt if, if things if things go on. But you know, I, I agree with your point before. I think um, you know you don't. I, I'm not a believer on the so-called you know mental scarring and and having to play Kiwi teams to get better. I think it's just um, Kiwis and Australians have always joined together to you know, form a good structure or help each other out, especially on the rugby field. So in terms of our location, so similar together, um, it'd be silly not to have a competition together at some point in the year. Um, and that's where you bring in the top Japanese teams um, like Panasonic and Suntory. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm running a private equity group um, and you bring in a few of the top Japanese teams, that really excites me with, you know, over a hundred million people over here that, you know, could turn on their TV and watch a watch a huge game of in Tokyo Stadium, etc., mate. So there's there's lots of possibilities. Um, I think in terms of the the three teams in in Australia, I think the Waratahs have played some you know quite attacking footy the last few weeks. But um, mate, if you're going to be realistic, all three teams are a, a fair way off the pace. Um, you know, I know the Forcer putting some good signings together there. I think concentrating a little bit more, bringing some young guys in. They've got some three, um, you know, pretty good signings from the Brumbies I've heard with Isaac Fines, uh, Bailey Quinzel and young Pasatoa. So that's three great signings um, from the force. Um, you know, I would be trying to find some young backs, mate. I think um, Kahui and, and Kearney, you know, two world-class players over the last decade. Um, but I don't think you're growing the force by having players like this, mate. Um, you know, even Thrush, 
you know, he's, a, he's been a legend over the last decade. But those three players, um, you know, I think they signed them because you know what you're going to get and the force weren't sure about their position in the comp. Um, now with Twiggy, and I'm sure the force aren't going anywhere again, now they have time, mate, to sign some young players, some quality Australian young players and, um, you know, really build for the next couple of years. Those three, those three Brumbies players are outstanding signings. That indeed is, you know, they're across the line. You know, Isaac Fines. I think he came off the bench the other day when that when they were playing. Was it the Chiefs? Was it and and really yeah. Quinzel was bursting onto the onto the ball and they played with an up speed, up tempo. So that was great. Um, and and yes, you need to see these guys coming through and and have regulars at nine and 10, you know, as much as Thomas Cabelli is added to that four side, I don't think that they're nearly as competitive for force if they don't have Richard Kahui and Jeremy Thrush has been brilliant in the line out and, and Thomas Cabelli, if they're not there, I don't think the force are playing quite as well, but you certainly need to be giving opportunities to the other guys in and around. Cabelli has played pretty much every, started pretty much every game for the force, but maybe even the first, but um so, so yeah, it's always the, the, the big question in terms of, you know, if you're going to have five sides, do you have, do you have the Australian rugby, do you have the depth to fill them or do you need to bring out outside resources? And, and those questions have to be asked going forward over the next couple of years as well about how do you best utilise those players? Yeah, mate, I, I agree. You know, I, I love as many Australian rugby players that can get professional contracts and play rugby as a crew is, is a positive, but... You know, you look at you look at how many uh, Kiwis or offshore players actually playing in in the, the Force team or or the Rebels or the Waratahs. Even with I think two of the second rowers I've seen playing, Jack Wedden and and, and yeah. Sam Kerr. Yeah. Um, that that's I don't see the positive for that for Australian rugby. You know, one or two highly experienced players coming back and giving back to young <clears throat> Aussie players. You know, great. But I don't see any positive to Australian rugby that we're spending money on offshore players to come and take a position where a young Australian player can be playing. And if that means we can't have five teams, then so be it. Um, because I'd rather have four strong teams than having five teams and filling it with, with offshore players that I don't think are doing anything for Australian rugby Um you know, as, as I'm doing, you go offshore or you play away from your home country to, to really cash in and, and have a different lifestyle. That's why rugby players do it. Um, and sometimes I think those players that are coming to Australia to play uh, are doing a similar thing. Yeah, boys, I think we could go round and round in circles on this one all day, which is why this uh, narrative will continue to dominate over the next few weeks. But certainly interesting to see uh, which way RA decide and and how much they're willing to give up with, with NZR and potentially the two Pacific franchises as well. Certainly a watch this space. Um, just before we leave Super Rugby entirely, Lockie, um, just what are you what are you hearing from guys back at the Brumbies, mate? It's, it's obviously been a tough last few weeks for them because they've virtually been on the road for a month. They had the final in Queensland and then have been in New Zealand where they really got up well for that first game against the Crusaders. Highly unlucky not to come away with a draw at least. Um, Probably, you know, apart from the first half of the Reds on the weekend, the standout performance from an Aussie team in, in Trans-Tasman. They've since slumped to, to defeats, heavy defeats by both the, the Chiefs and the Blues and just have a, a look of a team that 
looks a little bit tired. Um, I've had a few injuries as well. Um, they're back at home this week, obviously going to be up for, for a really tough game against the Hurricanes, but one they'll feel back in Canberra. Um, I'm sure they'll be up for and, and, and will really want to win. Um, have you been chatting to any of the guys down in Canberra, mate, and what are you hearing from them? Yeah, mate. I, um, you know, it's a funny one. They, they do look a little bit low on confidence. Um, it has been a tough road trip for four of uh, pretty tough games, you would say, on, you know, on the road. The Reds, who are very tough to beat at, at Suncorp, that, as we all know, went to the wire. The Crusaders in Christchurch, I don't think they've lost there for, for 35 years. And um, you've got the Chiefs and, and the Blues. So it was the toughest of road trips. Um, but I think, you know, you take out guys like Slips, Caden Neville, Pete Samu, Jerome Brown, Andy Millerhead. There's a fair bit of experience there. And, um, you know, as as the young guys are kind of learning on the on the go is winning winning on the road, especially winning against good teams in New Zealand is a lot tougher than winning at home in at Canberra Stadium. Um, and a lot of them, it's probably their first tour, definitely their longest tour across the ditch. And, you know, they, I don't know if they've, um, they've obviously tried to prepare as well as they can, but sometimes these things come with experience. Um, and yeah, I, I feel for the guys a little bit, but I think, you know, Mikel, Alori, et cetera, probably won't be happy with the, the way they're losing the last kind of, um, the last two games versus, versus the Chiefs and the Blues, just their, their defence and their set piece really struggled. Um, their attack was quite low in confidence. Um, Whitey came back. He was injured, came back. You know, the, the combination there looked a little bit rusty between nine and ten on the weekend too. So, you know, I think they're probably no one happier at the moment to get home into their own beds and, and get back and train at, at HQ. So, you know, they can turn it around quite quickly. They've got two home games to finish the season off. Um, and if they get two strong wins at home, I think the season looks a, a lot better um, than what it is at the moment. Certainly does. Lockie, what's the influence of the second rowers there with the scrum particularly? Because we know that Nick Frost, Darcy Swain, they're, they're, they're two giants and they've been pretty handy in the line out and around the park. But at the scrum time... Do you lose a lot? Like they always talk about the type five. You've really like the idea of the eight man scrum. What, what do you think? You're often on the flank or at number eight, but can you give us an insight? Because those two guys are certainly not fully developed in their bodies like, like a Tamani or a, a Neville would be. Yeah, mate. James Slipper will cringe when he hears me talking about scrums. <laughs> um, but, mate, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it'd be wrong not to mention. That, that's one of the reasons why the scrum isn't isn't going as well as it should be. Um, you know, Frost is going to be an outstanding talent and outstanding, a great rugby player in the future, but um, I think they're really missing Caden Neville behind Scotty and Allen there. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get too in-depth in the, in the scrum issues, but I think all good, all good front rowers love someone like Siddeleki Tamani or Caden Neville behind you know, throwing him into that into that collision. So um, I'm sure, mate, it's definitely one factor. And and young Darcy and, and Frosty will, um, I'm sure, under the tutelage of, of Alan Slips and Scotty and Dan Palmer there at the Brumbies, they'll only get better in that area of their game. Mm. Yeah, certainly uh, going to be worth watching the Brums this week. I'm expecting a, a much better performance. And, uh, yeah, I think they can really push 
the Canes at home. Uh, boys, uh, we've kind of covered off the first two of our rundown there. Thanks to poor guidance from your host, yours truly. Um, so we'll move on to point three today. Um, we're now just, what is it, ooh, five weeks out from the first test against France. Uh, a little bit of a rumour over the weekend that the French were we're getting cold feet, um, but the French press do like to throw up little curveballs now and again. Um, RA is certainly going to do all they can to convince them to come, and I think they still will come. There's too much to lose, should they not. Um, first test in Sydney, followed by, well, meant to be Melbourne, but who knows, and then up to Brizzy. Um, so let's uh, let's put our, our heads on the chopping block here and, uh, and come up with uh, some Wallabies teams. Uh, Christy, let's go to you. First, mate. Um, now, this is a team to play France. We're not looking ahead to the Bledisloe as yet. Um, who have you got in the run-on side for that first test at the SCG on July 7th? I'm glad you've, you've, you've started with the run-on side because it's when you get a bit curvy in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the reserves. I might just throw out who I do have a couple of those, those competitive type positions, but we'll start up front and uh, I've gone with... Probably no real surprises, but James Slipper and Taniela Tupo. But I'm going with Lockie Lonigan in the at, at hooker. Um, I think you know you, there's a few guys, Brandon Panger and Mosa. We know that, that Dave Rennie thinks he's probably a little bit overweight at the moment. I think the same could be said about Jordan Ulysses at the moment. Um, doesn't look like he's quite as switched on, but we know that Ulysses hopefully is hanging around and is is still very exciting. Still got a World Cup under his belt, and as does Flaufanger. But I've gone with those three. Um, I want to see more of Trevor Hosea, who I think is going to be a very very good player. So I've got him with Lucan in the second row in the back row of. Robbie Valentini at six, Michael Hooper and and uh, Harry Wilson. I've gone with Hoops at seven only because I want a little bit more experience out there when you've got a couple of younger guys like Hosea, like Long, Lonigan. Um, I've, I've, I've gone with the settled half sparing of what we saw last year and that's only because I think they need to win this match first up. You can't be throwing out everything and I think Jake Gordon has been extremely good this year. And I would, he was very close to starting, but I've gone with Nick White, James O'Connor, uh, a centres partnership of Matt Tamua and, and Hunter Paisami out wide. I've gone with Tom Wright on the left wing. I think Marika, he's been brilliant. Um, he does seem like he's going overseas, though, and I think you need to make sure that those that have committed to stay beyond here are getting their opportunities. But also, I think Tom Wright is a brilliant player. Um, uh, Jordan Bataille and Tom Banks at, at fullback. So, um, yeah, I, there's still a couple of unknowns. Well, a couple of unknowns there, a couple of curveballs, but I think it's now an, an exciting opportunity to give a couple of players a go as well. This French tie, it's not going to be the best, but you certainly need to win that first game. We'll get into some discussions after we've all been through. So, Lockie, uh, let's hear yours, mates. Um, lay it on us. Oh, I'm sure there'll be lots of discussions post all this, but I mate, pretty similar. Um, I've gone slips, Pango, Mosa, and um, everyone will say I'm biased, but I like Alan starting and um, Taniella coming off the bench in the in the lock department. I'd like to see, you know, a big lock pairing um, against the French. I think you'll need it set piece and around the field. So I picked Caden Neville and Luke Antui. Um, Robbie Valentini was my first pick at, at uh, six. First name I wrote down. Um, you've got Hoops at seven, Harry Wilson at eight. Um, this was quite tough. I thought the, the nines with Jake Gordon, he's probably the unluckiest player in Australian rugby. 
Um, and Tate McDermott's really coming into his own too. But I like the experience of, of White and O'Connor at 9 and 10. Um, I put Marika at 11. I think in a struggling Rebels team, I think um, he hasn't put a bad performance out there all year. So he deserves that spot at 11. Um, but obviously with, with his plans moving forward, you've got some real depth there with guys like Wrighty too. Um, I think Wrighty struggled a little bit coming back from his from his injury in, in parts this year in games. Um, you've got the similar centre pairing with Tamura and Passami at 12-13, Jordan Patea and, and Tom Banks to, to finish the team off. Very nice. All right. Uh, and uh, here I go. Um, I've actually given Angus Bell a run at Lucid up front. I've been just hugely impressed with his work over the last few weeks. Um, I'm also got Lachlan Lonigan. Uh, Hooker was one which I went back and forth on. And really, it's uh, I know we'll come to it, but it's a really quite an open position there and, and could name potentially any of, of eight hookers, uh, as we've seen from, from Dave Rennie's squad so far. Taniella at tight heads. Um, Given the inexperience up front in Bell and Lonigan, I've gone for a really experienced lock pair of, of Tamani and uh, Salakai Loto. Um, I like where Nick Frost is heading, but I know that the scrum could be an issue. He's a player um, I want to see more of, um, hopefully, later this year. Um, the only place where we're agreeing is across the back row. Uh, I also have Rob Ballantini, Michael Hooper and Harry Wilson. I think clearly you've got... Um, well, maybe two the top two players in Australian rugby this year in, in Wilson and, and Valentini there. Um, Nick White, I agree. Um, Jake Gordon and, and certainly Tate McDermott as of the weekend are starting to put that little bit of extra pressure on, on Whitey, who's been out a little bit himself. O'Connor, uh, I've kept Marika on the left wing. Christy, I hadn't actually factored in your thoughts on, on him heading overseas, but I'm happy to stick with him. Uh, against the French to start with. Uh, and then I've gone Paisami at 12 and Izzy Parisi at 13. Um, I want to see Parisi get a run. Um, I think against France is the, the perfect opportunity to do it. Um, I really like what I've seen from him in the last few weeks as well. I think he's, he's been one of the most dominant Aussie players in recent times. Um, Tom Wright on the right wing. Um, I also weighed up Suliasi there, but as Christy mentioned earlier, probably want to see a little bit more from him as yet, and Tommy Banks at fullback. So um, they're quite different there, boys, apart from the back row, as we mentioned. Um, let's, I guess, let's look at let's look at Hooker. Um, is it a case, Christy, of finding a mobile hooker to go toe-to-toe with the likes of looking further down the track, Cody Taylor and Dane Coles, and this kind of this new breed of hooker, I guess, that New Zealand have unleashed in the last, firstly with Coles and and now Taylor in the last decade, or finding someone who's going to nail the set piece because we know the line-out has been a, an Achilles heel of the Wallabies for a while now. The scrums also can be a little bit weak. So so how are you weighing that up if you're, if you're Dave Rennie? You know, I asked Dan McKellar the other day when I spoke to him on a Zoom, I said, what's the differences between Lockie Lonigan and Falao Flyanger at scrum time? And he said very little. Um, and I think... Those couple of guys, Lockie Lonigan, Alex Murphy, I know that Murphy has been someone that Dave Rennie's spoken about a lot and we've, we've seen how lethal he is out wide and his runs just like Cody Taylor or, or Dane Coles. I think those two will, will, one of them will make a, will get a cup this year and that's exciting. But the guys that have been there, none of them have nailed it. We know that Jordan Ulysses line out in his throw is something that he struggles with. Um, Brandon Panger and Moser at times struggles there in that same 
um, line out. His, his scrum is a little bit stronger, but he again is going overseas. So I, I thought, you know, he's probably already packed on a couple of kilos. He, he, he's great for the culture and everyone loves him. But I think if you, you've got to be starting to, to look ahead and he's not like he's a, a Marika Corabetti, you can understand being picked if he's going overseas because he's a, a, a great player. But when the hooker is still up for debate, I think you really need to start thinking, well, who's going to get there? Who's going to get 30, 40 cats by the time the, the World Cup is, as upon, is upon us? Um, so that's how I'm seeing it. If it's not nailed at the moment, who are the two best young guys going around? And I think that's what, how they, they saw Phil Kearns back in the day. This bloke had the potential to become world-class. Does Lockie Lonigan maybe not world-class, but he could be very, very good. And, and similarly with Alex Murphy. Lockie, um, let's talk your specialty, mate. Uh, the back row, clearly this, um, after so long having... You know, some issues around the the evenness of the, the composition of the, the trio, certainly, you know, in terms of a set-piece perspective and, and ball carrying when we had Hooper and Poey playing together for so long. Um, that worked a couple of times, but I think probably in the end, most people would sum up and say that it, it wasn't actually uh, in the best interest of the Wallabies team. Now we seem to have a back row that is not only going to start really well, but then we're going to have great options coming off the bench and, and able to take those in, in different directions as well, perhaps with McGright and Wright coming on to replace um, Hooper, Valentini and, and Harry Wilson. But from a purely ball-carrying perspective, Wilson and Valentini are two guys who can really bend the line here, aren't they? Yeah, mate. I, I think Robbie's played well all year. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Harry Wilson. Um, I think he actually started the season quite slow. Yeah. Um, not too critical, but... After his breakout year last year, I thought he actually struggled a bit in Super Rugby AU and probably a reason why Thorne started Uru at eight a few times. But, um, you know, I think since the Kiwis games have started, Harry's kind of, I don't know, let the let the shackles off. He's carrying a bit more freely, he's trying to offload and play his natural game, which I think that's when he's playing at his best. So, you know, you've you've got a really good looking back row there. Um, you know, I wanted to put McBride in for that first game because I think he's had a huge season so far and um, you've kind of got to give him credit for, for a big year when, when Hoops has been um, over in Japan. But as we all know, Hoops is a captain um, and he's a great player and he's given more to Australian rugby than, than most. So, you know, I think that the one positive about how this uh, three tests is structured with such short turnarounds is, I think they you, you never give a test match to anyone for free, but you can use the first game um, as a form super rugby team and the most experienced, say the best team out there. Um, and then you can, you know, I thought using that second test, which is only six days, um, you know, turnaround as a, as a way to then start the youths, you know, looking forward to the next World Cup. You can, I would throw in guys like Hosea. I would start Lockie Lonigan. I'd start Angus Bell. Um, I'd start McWright, um, I'd start McDermott and Noah, um, guys like Bunavalu. I'd, I'd really, I'd throw them into that second test. Um, and that's not throwing it away. It's just having the ability, having the ability to challenge a French, but also having an eye in two years, we've got a, a huge tournament. Um, and it would be great to see some of these young guys thrown in instead of for 15, 20 minutes off the bench, really thrown in and, and see how they go. Um, you know, I, I think some of the young guys, like you've mentioned, Angus Bell and Lockie Lonigan, deserve a, deserve a start after the years they've had. 
Um, and I would love to see them kind of thrown in in that second test to, to see how they go. Same as Parise, I'd throw him in in that second test at 13. Um, so, mate, there's, yeah, there's lots to look forward to for this three-part series. It's great to see even guys like, I know you mentioned Sarah Uru and what part he plays will be fascinating too, but even Rob Leota, like, he's a bloke that's always been a big specimen, but he hasn't really made an impact until just now. And we're starting to see him pack a bit of a punch, which is exciting. He's probably not close enough yet, and he's certainly not going to edge his way in front of Wilson or... or or um, or Valentini, but he's we need depth in positions, and that's the exciting thing about having guys like Gordon and and McDermott now challenging as well. You need multiple players challenging across multiple positions. Absolutely, Christian. We know the centres. Um, you're a you're a massive Hunter Paisami fan. You've got him at thirteen. Um, do you see him as a longer term option for the Wallabies at twelve as well, or do you think thirteen is where he's going to do the most damage? No, I think 12, but I just think uh, to begin with for the first test, that's a, that's a game that they have to win. Um, and, and I thought that a little bit of continuity there would be important before you start throwing up a couple of more curveballs across the board. That, that's, the only, that's the only thing I'd be reluctant about by giving multiple players, um, you know, run on debuts for that second test just because, uh, you know, well, given, given the challenges the French are going to be having, given the fact that Australian rugby hasn't been able to win too many games, particularly Wallabies matches, that, you know, Dave Rennie said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it in the media when I asked him, can you win this series 3-0? But you could bet you've got him dollar that's what he was thinking. So I, I think that it is a series that they can win 3-0. Uh, and for that reason, they've got to take it deadly seriously. Um which, which they will, and of course they should, but uh, it will be fascinating to see how they balance the workload of, of various players. But, you know, we, we already know Alan Alatoa, Taniela Tupo, Angus Bell, James Slipper. There, there is depth across the positions where they can rotate already. Yeah, and I think when we're across all our positions there, as we said, apart from the back row, probably fullback, fly half, um, for that first test, it would really the only ones you're going to pencil in with, with any certainties. And that's not a situation that we've had in Australian rugby for a while now. There is building depth across many positions and perhaps that's the silver lining to take out of uh, what has been a, a tough trans-Tasman competition today. That Individually across all teams, there are guys standing up and really making a, a play for, for test selection. All right, boys, that's, uh, I think that's a pretty good haul for today. Um, Lockie, mate, thanks again for, for joining us from... Japan, we uh, we hope that paperwork finds its way to you over the next couple of days and you get across to the States there to join Austin, yeah? Yeah, mate. Hopefully uh, next time we chat, I'm um, in Austin, mate, having a have a big meat feed of, of some sort. Austin, I think, second in the uh, the Western Conference over there behind uh, the star-studded Giltini's side. Uh, Christy, mate, thanks again, and uh, we'll continue to follow your work around the traps uh, in the lead-up to that French series. Yes, likewise, similarly with you, Sammy, cheers.